Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. I, I don't know about you, but I, there are some testimonies that I remember when somebody have told stories that changed me, literally changed me instantly, changed the way I thought, changed the way I behaved, changed me forever. I, I was at a pastor's conference and this one guy came up and he was talking of uh, some of his evangelism efforts. And he said he and his team went into the, uh, the emergency room lobby area and said, hey, anybody having some uh, pains? <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding. They weren't doctors, okay? They were pastor or evangelist. Like, hey, anybody have some pains? You need a dress right now? And of course, people are like, yeah. <laughs> You're in an emergency room. And my immediate response is like, wow, what boldness. But they stepped out in faith of their call and what they, were, what they felt they were to do. And people started coming. It's like, yeah, I have this pain in my knee. Or I had this. I got hurt. And they started praying for these people in the lobby. And they started experiencing healing. Nurses saw what was happening, were like floored. They're telling their co-workers down the hall, and next thing you know, hey, can you guys come over here? Because these nurses cared about their patients. They're like, come, can you pray for them? They really need. And they started getting healed. And they started getting invites for the rest of the hospital. Now, when I heard that story, something moved in my spirit. My Faith was increased. I was inspired. I was like, maybe even convicted. Like, wow, how God uses the boldness and the faithfulness of some individuals and how they go forth, and God does the rest. But there's power in testimonies. Yeah, they were the ones who did it, but there's power in the testimonies. Because as I looked around the room, I wasn't the only one. Testimonies. We're changing the lives of the listeners. And I saw the testimony of the speakers. They were being more empowered as they were even sharing the testimonies. And I, and I argue that there is power in the words of testimonies, not only for the speakers, but the listeners. It's all across. Why? There is power in the Holy Spirit. The God who called us to share our testimony, who called us and empowered us, is the one who speaks through us of the listeners and moves in the hearts. The testimonies are the vessel and the conduit for which God uses to bring about his glory. So there's power in testimonies. This morning, I want us to just look at a few scriptures but to, to know what you know is that there is a call and power to share our testimonies. And it's not just for the leaders. It's all. And I want you to guys know that. Just because you are young in faith or new or you're in position or not, the call of the testimonies and the early church and the precedent was not just about the 12 apostles and the leaders and the disciples. It was all. And you have to believe that. 
Revelations 12, 11, in the New King James Version, it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. A little backdrop on, on that. Pericope or chapter 12, if you read book of Revelations and chapter 12, it, it describes the woman and the dragon, right? Now, I'm not going to go deep, but the dragon was a serpent, the devil himself. He was thrown down to the earth to lead people astray. Uh, Revelations 12, 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. So in the context of, uh, of that pericope was that the great dragon, the, the devil is thrown to the earth and he is leading the whole world astray. And the following verse says, and they overcame him. Who's him? The devil. By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Let's consider that. They overcame the devil with the blood of Jesus, blood of the Lamb. And to say that is the blood represents his death on the cross. Means Jesus paid the sins of the whole world. And by the word of their testimony, who's their testimony? Who are who's they? They were the ones who believed in the blood of the Lamb. They're the Christians. Anyone who believe in the blood of the Lamb are the ones who said, that is the Lamb of God, that is Jesus Christ. He died for me, and I have been redeemed. They who believed, Christians, overcame the devil by the word of their testimonies. You guys with me so far in the context of what is being shared? The word of their testimony, word for testimony there in the original Greek is martyreo, which means testimony or, or also witness. Said in another way, that word describes a person who is on a legal stand and says, I swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, I swear to God. Right? That's the word. To testify, bear witness, testimony. That's where that word comes from. In our country, <laughs> compared to different countries, there is something called the Fifth Amendment that, or Miranda rights that allows us to hold to silence. I have the right to remain silent. And so that one do not self-incriminate in their testimony. But to give our testimony is a privilege. Anyone who desires to, who desires to bring truth not worried about self-incriminations, but desiring truth to shed light, to bring justice and righteousness to happen, to right things to happen, will bear testimony. Uh, last year, this is, I can't believe this, maybe, maybe it's in two years. Last year, the kid had, our kids had uh, something in St. Augustine. Yeah, all right, they, and so, we had a nice trip to St. Augustine. We were on our way back. Um, I-4, maybe around Sanford area. And as we were driving, and you know, I-4, you're going 80 miles per hour or whatever, and I'm on the left lane going, and, and all of a sudden the car in front brake really hard. 
started swerving right in front of me. I hear pow, and I saw a rock hit my windshield, and you know, my family was asleep, and they wake up, what's going on? And they see the erratic behavior of this car, and I'm braking really hard. Next thing I know, I see the guy on the passenger side waving his hand, and in his hand was a gun. And I'm like, as soon as I realize, I break even harder because I'm trying to get out of it. Like, if I'm in back behind him, he won't be able to shoot. But he's like waving. I'm going, what the heck was happening here? He took off. Calling 911. I'm adrenaline pumped. <laughs> I get off exit. And I realize it wasn't a rock, but a bullet that hit my car. Hit the rear view mirror hardware bounce and the bullet stray was on my dashboard with a broken glass. Called the police, told them what happened. As soon as I pulled over, there was a police right there. That was amazing. So I parked right next to him and he was like in one of the little side roads. Told him he's calling the radio and, and I was on the 911 call doing all of that and I'm testifying what I had seen, heard, giving evidence, the bullet the fragment, and my dash cam picture that had captured it all. <laughs> and the prosecutor took my testimony and the evidence I presented to use to bring justice, to bring prosecution. They caught those guys. They, they flew in there. Anyways, I say all that. Anybody who desires for a right thing to happen will testify. Anybody who desires to bring truth to happen will testify. It is our responsibility for safety of my family and the community and everyone else. It's only the selfish who say, I I'm afraid to be self-incriminating, who desires to remain quiet. But testimony has the power to bring truth in darkened situations. Testimonies have authority and power. And this is why God called his people to testify, to share our testimonies, because there is power when we give our testimonies. Not only for the listeners, but even for ourselves. What's so special about testimony or my testimony that gives us power? And I mentioned testimonies have a power to transform the speaker and the listener. Because the testimonies come from the Holy Spirit. The testimonies come with the authority that comes from God himself. And this is Jesus in the Great Commission. He says, do you guys remember Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he commissioned, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All authority of heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And then Jesus sends them. To do what? To making disciples, to sharing of their testimonies, to bring light into the darkened world, salvation. And this authority is extended when we faithfully testify what Christ has done in our lives. And I want you to get that. What the Holy Spirit does, he glorifies Jesus. And when we speak through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit because we cannot glorify Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You guys with me? So Jesus said, John 15, 26, when the counselor, 
who is the Holy Spirit, counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. So those who have seen Jesus, who have witnessed Jesus, who have seen him work, he's like, you have the responsibility because you have seen, you are my witnesses and I'm sending you forth. And when we testify about Jesus and what he has done, it's not about you, it's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who will speak. And this is the promise of the fulfillment that it is Jesus, it it is uh, the Holy Spirit who will give you the words to speak. And this is the promise uh, that Jesus said in Luke 12, 12, how the Holy Spirit will give you words in time of defense or situation. Um, Do I have that? Okay. Where the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So what you say is given by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is doing his work, there's power because that's the power of God. The entire church began and was launched through the testimony of believers. It wasn't the fancy sermons that wooed the heart of the people or it wasn't the fancy preachers or the 12 apostles only. It was the everyday neighbors who saw, witnessed what was what was happening, and they told their neighbors. It's, it's the story of the Samaritan woman. You guys remember the Samaritan woman? Jesus is at the well, talks to a Samaritan woman, woman from Samaria, and the Jews did not speak with people on that side of the track, if you will. And in fact, she was surprised. Why are you, a Jew, speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Culturally, there was so much going on here. But what happened? When Jesus spoke to the woman, she went and testified to others. You got to meet that guy who told me everything about my life. <laughs> you, you just have to meet him. And here's what happened in John 4:39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and they stayed. And he stayed two days, and because of his words and many more, became believers. The early church in Samaria was launched by that one woman and her testimony. You got to meet this guy. No fancy preachers. No special service. A simple, rejected woman of the street, if you will, who gave her testimony and the entire city was changed through the testimony. Testimonies are powerful, but the powerful sermons have four components that should be in all of your testimonies. Four components. One, your worst. Two, God's best. Three, the culmination for the ask. And we're going to leave that up for the rest of the sermon. Okay? These four components, your worst before Christ, your God's best, when you recognize that God had something better for you, the culmination, your transformation process, the ask, the invitation. Let's start with your worst. Before Jesus, you were at your worst. You couldn't be your worst without Jesus.
Our Lord desires the best and leads you to the best. Before him is, if we confess, was our worst. We don't want to give a testimony that glorifies our past. Oh, back in the day, I used to party it up and all that for you. Know. We don't want to glorify that sinful life. But what happens when we talk about our worst in the context of testimony is that it gets the attention of our listeners. And it also builds credibility sometimes to where we have been to relate with the broken that we are speaking with. A few years back, I was at Hopi Indian Reserve in Arizona, Hopi Indians. Very desolate, poor uh, situation. And I was asked to share a word one night. And I talked about my worst. Growing up, the condition I grew up in, how after we immigrated, living in a trailer park, my parents, my father was an alcoholic, and the problem that came from that, and all the brokenness, hiding out the bottles and the fights and the conflicts, there was chaos in the house, all because really it stemmed from alcoholism. I share that. Not that I'm proud of it or but God used my worst to reveal what he can do. At the end of that message, I had people come to me because alcoholism and drug abuse was rampant in the poverty, especially within that community. Where's buddy? <laughs> These people who came wanted to talk to me or pray with me bought because as I was sharing, they knew that I understood their pain. They knew that I lived that life and I built credibility and I knew how to get out of it through Jesus. And when I gave them that hope, they knew that's the only way because they have tried all the other ways and failed. The worst is not to share our glory days of our brokenness, but to get the attention and to let them know. Yeah, because it's, anyways, it's a trap for me too. <laughs> God's best is your salvation story. When did you come to know that God had something better for you? At what point at what point did you get awakened to recognizing that God had a better life? And for you to receive that, it might have been a message. It could have been your friends sharing their testimony. What was the process? And then culmination is the transformation. What did you do with that message? What did you do with that invitation? Culmination is a transformation when we went from the worst to God's best. How the decision of faith or decision or faith led us to the new life in Christ. You know, after hearing the <laughs> every 
one of us has gone through a life event where there's a transformation. If you, I, I, I like to believe that even if you grew up in um, a religious household and you grew up in faith all your life, there's a point when you recognize that there's something deeper than just going to church and being good all your life. It's recognizing that turning point when you say, I, I, I know I've been going to church and all that, but man, God awakened my heart and I learned to hear him and follow him. That's the story. That's what we want to glorify. That's what we want to tell people, that there is a deeper relationship with God than just going to church and having this religion because that's what the world, from the outside looking in, that's all they know. But when we talk about our hearts, that's the culmination. That's, that's what we want to glorify. And I promise you that when, that's the deeper things that people don't talk too often. They see the going to the church. They see the religion. But talk about the culmination. What moved your heart that made you know that you know that you know that Jesus is God. You know, I confess that it's been a long time since I became a believer. I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. My family were Buddhist. Um, and there's a whole story of how my mom tried to keep the kids from going to church in itself. But my third year in college is when things changed. Sometimes I forget where I've been because it's been so long. 25, 30 years of whatever life that we live. But there is power. I recognize that as I share my testimony, I, then I remember where I came from. And when I remember where I came from, I enter into that gratitude again, like, oh my gosh, what God, what God has done in my life. So let me tell you my story. Our family immigrated to the U.S. in 79. Uh, and that was a different era back then, right? We moved into a trailer park. Talk about identity crisis. <laughs> Asian little boy moving into like southern Virginia, Hickville with cow pastures everywhere, trailer park. And racism was rampant and very unashamed. Um, pickup trucks with gun racks and Confederate flags. I was just, that, that's what I grew up with. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to say it, but thank you. <laughs> I grew up in that culture, and I wonder, why did we move here? This isn't better. But we knew that when we left Korea, our hope was we're moving to a better country with better opportunities. Moving to the States, it was not good. I got into racial-related fights. I mean, this is elementary, and I'm getting into fights three, four times a week. It had to toughen me up. Language, culture, I did not know. Fighting back. I learned racism and how to say curse word in multi-languages very early on. <laughs> And, and life at home wasn't better. I, I shared about my father's alcoholism. My father, who was in a suit, going to office every day in Korea, came to U.S. and changed that for a 7-Eleven clerk graveyard shift. 
my mother, who used to stay home, taking care of her six children, lovingly, with a help in Korea, come to the U.S. and she's cleaning hotels, motel days in, I remember correctly. And I remember her coming home crying because how hard the life was. And I wondered, why are we here? <laughs> Korea was a little bit better. And my parents fought all the time. Alcohol was them. They tried to do business and that was failing. There was nothing really good in my life. And of course, because my parents were working all the time, I, I was home by myself, which rebellious teen stage, if you can imagine, I got into some trouble and my parents even had to pick me up from the authorities and they were just so ashamed of me. They said it. It's a it's an Asian shame culture, and they shamed me, say, I can't believe you are my son who do this and bring shame to your family. Yeah, tough words. Oh, and I, and I remember thinking, why am I living? Um, it's not worth living. I had already lost my relationship with my family. I was going through life just motionless. And so in one night, I had decided to commit suicide. Middle of the night, so nobody would stop me or anything like that. And just before I was ready to leave, God gave me a vision of my own funeral. And my mother, she couldn't stop crying. People couldn't console her. And my immediate confusion was, why is she crying over a son that she did not love? <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, 2020, I recognize now what a lie that was. I really believed that my parents had disowned me or hated me. But that vision kept me from killing myself physically, but I had chosen to kill myself spiritually, if that makes sense. I was living physically, but in my mind, I was already dead. I had said that I, oh, I am fearless. You couldn't stop me from trying new adventures or dangerous things, but I had committed suicide spiritually. I was going through life and I was dead. It wasn't until college that as a favor for my mother, who said, you need to meet some Koreans, introduced me to a Christian group. I didn't know it was a Christian group. And I was like, okay, mom, you know, stop nagging. I will meet the people that you want me to meet. And found out that it was a Christian group. But within the Christian community, there's always the guys that you kind of relate with. <laughs> and these were my drinking former gang members, <laughs> heavy drinkers in a Christian. And I met them in a Christian fellowship. <laughs> and we were hanging out. We were butting it up and drinking and, and, and whatnot. But they said, hey, there's a ret college retreat, collegiate, multi like nine colleges in the area invited. And we need to go to this retreat. I said, what's this? What is a retreat? I didn't even know what a retreat was. And this is how my friend explained it to me. He goes, well, it's about nine colleges, about five, 600 students. But let's say 500 students. Usually it's like six, seven girls for three guys. But let's say on a bad ratio, it's 50-50. And that's still 250 girls. If only 10% are cute, that's the 25 girls that you could choose from. 
I didn't know what a retrieve was, but that sounded pretty good. So I went. And that's the Christian conference setting. I didn't know any of this. But what I saw for the first time in my life was worship was happening. Contemporary worship team leading praise songs with drums and guitar. I was like, oh, this is cool. But then I saw a girl over there. She had her hands lifted. Praise, eyes closed, and tear running down her eyes. Worshiping God, worshiping Jesus. And my immediate response is, she's a fool for worshiping God that she can't see. But then I said, but she knows, she might know something I don't. Because she has such passion that I did not have. Like I said, I was just going through life. I was dead inside and I knew it. And she had this passion, even if, her, if it was a lie. <laughs> she knew something, some passion that I didn't, and I was envious of that. Later that night, revival broke out. Holy Spirit came. My buddy that I was drinking very heavily on a regular basis with, God, he was a prodigal. God woke him up. He loved the Lord growing up, walked away from the Lord and did the gang stuff and whatever. And God called him out that night. And then he comes up to me and goes, I'm going to pray for you. I said, okay. When he laid hands on me and prayed, I sensed something spiritual was happening, this tension. In fact, I even saw a vision of something evil. I was like, what's going on? I said, something's happening. And so I asked him, who is this Jesus that you pray? And he shared the gospel to me. Imagine, my parents tried to force me to go to a Korean Presbyterian church. I couldn't even listen to this sermon because I didn't understand the language. And I just thought it was the most hypocritical religious thing. But then here, a friend shared his testimony. Shared the gospel with me in a way that I understood very simply. And when he shared that, I knew it was the truth. I didn't say sinner's prayer or repeat after me. But when he talked about Jesus and how he died for my sins, so I didn't have to, I started tearing and I knew that was the truth. And I said, he's my God. He's the God. What I failed to share earlier was that growing up in the chaos, I said, God, if, there, if you exist, change my situation. Make my dad to stop drinking. Make my parents to stop fighting. That business that was such a pain that was draining us, get rid of that. And I had a list of what I considered miracles. I prayed that every day, whether I was high or drunk, before I went to bed. For seven years, nothing happened. It was religious superstition. I couldn't go to sleep unless I prayed for those that I love, for their situations to be improved. After I got saved, that first year, the miracle started happening. My father's alcoholism. Parents stopped fighting. Business. They were able to declare bankruptcy and protect the assets and all the other things. Good stuff. And then I realized one miracle per month, they were happening. Everything I said, I asked, God, if you are there, I don't know who you are, do this and then I will believe you. And then God spoke to me and said, all those years you prayed to an unknown God, I didn't need to prove myself to you. But now that you know my name, I will bless you. When I prayed in Jesus' name, he answered me.
my life from that moment has never been the same. God showed continued miracles in my life over and over. But no matter what I have, what I've come to encounter, and the greatest things, whether it's my wife or my kids or a situation that is so good, none of it compares to Jesus, what he has done, who he is. Because it is from him that I have all these things. Because I knew what my life was before Christ, at my worst. But when Jesus came into my life, that's when everything changed. That's my story. Depending on where I share it and who I share it with, I change, adjust. But no matter the story, there's got to be the ask. And that is the invitation. It's, the ask is not, will you pray with me? Will you repeat after me? The ask is, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want what I want? Do you want to receive the hope? It could be prayer that you lead them to. But it's the heart response of the listener to say, I believe in your story. And I want what you, what you have. And if that's Jesus, let them ask for it. But you give them the invitation. This topic is being preached in other campuses today. And in the next two weeks, what we want to do is to give you the opportunity to some of you. Obviously, we won't have time for everyone. But we may give you a call and ask, you know, if you're willing to share your testimony. What we want to do is inspire one another to know one another as a family of God, how God has changed us, transformed us. And for the listeners, for the Holy Spirit to move through you as a vessel of the Holy Spirit, but also as a recipient to receive all that we have received as freely as you receive freely give. Amen. We, what we have received is not just for us to hoard. It's for us to give. We have received it to give away. And that is the responsibility of our testimonies. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.